Securities offered through Securities America, Inc. Member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Welcome, my friends. This is John Grace and my cohort in crime here, Daniel Medina with Fiscal Fitness. So glad you could join us this uh, Hump Day Wednesday. We're here every Wednesday from 12 to 1. And we like to start out looking at what's going on in the market. We're going to be talking about my book. And by the way, just to be really clear, uh, if it is the case that you ask a question or send us a question in some format, we'll make sure you get a copy of my book uh, for free. It'll be the Kindle version. It's available uh, at Amazon. And it's called Making Finance Make Sense. And for us, that's what it's all about. Making sense out of all of the data and the drama and the uncertainty. So we see a lot of things happening today. And I, this is, I think this is going to continue throughout the year. Uh, we're looking at uh, a strong record pace with economic activity. That's because it came off the lows for the third quarter. Uh, we're also looking at a, a trade war. Uh, with the rise of China, and maybe uh, we'll, we may see some things in terms of what happens with the U.S. dollar in terms of how it is applied around the world. You know, people uh, was at Costco last night. I noticed that people were stocking up on uh, all the toilet paper they could possibly buy, and maybe have, never use, as the virus continues to march. Um, and then we've got some folks who are saying it, it looks gloomy. This is not just about Halloween, but it might be gloomy for uh, the next several years, maybe even a decade when it comes to the overall market. A Biden presidency could compl complicate our estate taxes and planning. Might be helpful to uh, start planning now. And by the way, our trademark happens to be the proof is in the planning. And then we see the VIX, uh, which is uh, one of the indicators that we look at in terms of market volatility, short-term and long-term. And we're seeing uh, a, a very high spike uh, since June with the uh, economy threat growing. You know, this coronavirus has been a, um, a disaster of epic proportions. And frankly, we have no idea how it's all going to fall out. But at the end of the day, as I say, our job is to help you, the investor, wade through all of that water and all of those clouds so that you can see what has to happen so that you know whether you, uh, how can I avoid living too long? In other words, having too much month of money after I stop working. What can I do for my family to make sure that whatever income one of the breadwinners is dependent upon to keep this uh, plateau of living the way it is, all these people and all this stuff, heaven forbid one of us goes to heaven, doesn't matter if we're married or not. How do we make sure that the survivors can see financially it's a non-event? I might miss you, but I'm not going to miss your money because I made sure that I have the insurance, life insurance in place to be the equivalent of your income that I used to use. Now I have to have the life insurance policy provide me with an income. But what most of us do, don't do, is recognize what kind of coverage do I need to provide what kind of benefit that I'm accustomed to. That for us is, is very important. And then 
it's also very important to look at college education planning. We've seen so many situations where people have uh, finished with great debt, and then the uh, college graduate feels like this is their albatross, their cross to bear, <clears throat> excuse me, and many of them feel really guilty about it, and yet they also feel sabotaged by it because they're now hesitant to start a family or to um, launch the career the way they really want it to be or to buy a home or to do some other things that you would normally do when you graduate college. But if it is the case, like we have one client, she keeps doing the math, uh, a nurse, and she's like, if I pay all of this back, it's going to be like, uh, you know, an $80,000 loan, and they may get over $200,000 from me. How can I manage to survive and have a family? So they're always worried about that. But let, let me bring you up to date in terms of what we're seeing year to date as far as the market is concerned. And one of the reasons we like to look at year to date as opposed to just daily, we can talk about both, of course. But if we just look at what's going on every day, it's really difficult to get a sense for what the trend might be. And one of the trends that I think is worthy of paying attention to is what's happening for the year, not just this, this week or today, but what's been happening from the beginning of the year, January 1, 2020, through today, as of approximately 307, what are the markets doing? So if we look at the NASDAQ, we see that uh, this is a very nice number of the NASDAQ composite, year to date up 23.29, we'll say 23.3%. That's a very good number. I, I believe the highest I saw was 34%. So you can see something's happening here. NASDAQ, of course, is an index that primarily is oriented around tech stocks. The S&P 500 is the largest index, 500 companies that we have an, an eye on. And that's probably the best barometer of what's going on because it's not dedicated to one industry or predominated by uh, one industry. It's a cross-section of various companies, old as well as new, with the standard and poorest 500. Interestingly enough, it's up year-to-date, a whopping 1.78%. So, I mean, today is quite a drumming in the market. We're looking at uh, some of these indexes uh, earlier was, were off over 3% across the board. Right now, the S&P is off about 2.9, uh, but that's real close. The NASDAQ is off 3% as we speak today, and again, up 23. Uh, we'll say 23.3 for the year. And then when we turn to the Dow, which was the first index that was established back in the, what, late 1800s, if not mistaken, early 1900s, uh, that's off 2.92% today. And for the year, it has now dropped uh, uh, to a loss of 6.68%. So nearly uh, 6.7 cents on the dollar is the loss that uh, investors have seen, again, from January 1 through today as of 3.09 now, Eastern time. Uh, that's the loss we've seen for the year so far. So part of what you're seeing is, and we want you to see this, notice the disparity between a loss of nearly, well, 6.7%, to a gain of over 23%. That's, that's Mr. Toad's wild ride. I mean, that's buckle up. And in fact, uh, we've been on talk shows where we said back in August, now is the time, ladies and gentlemen, to put your trade table in the upright and locked position because this plane could be coming down for a very hard landing, not at the airport of your first choice. <laughs> in fact, it might not, not, might not be on the tarmac. So that's what we're saying. We, we can't see the future. And you know what? We don't need to. 
what we have to do instead of uh, predicting the future, as far as Daniel Medina and John Grace are concerned, is to be prepared, <coughs> prepared for the future, whether it's the good, the bad, or the unforeseen, and not be locked into, well, here's what I think is going to happen, and notice maybe it is, maybe it isn't. What we have to do is respond more like uh, the palm trees do in the Hawaiian winds, right? They yield. <coughs> they're agile. They, they float from left to right, north and south, viciously, violently, but they stay intact. And notice that usually they can keep their fronds in, intact. If not, then they grow them back. But if we aren't uh, agile, then we break, right? Earthquake happens and we break. We want uh, you know, we don't want the earthquake to happen, but if it does, we want to be able to live to tell the story. So th th that's what we're seeing so far. Uh, what things are, are you looking at, Daniel? Well, what, to kind of piggyback off what you were saying, it's it's so important to be prepared for a drop in the market because if you the, as you closer you get to needing the money, the more value it, valuable it actually becomes. When you're young and you're making contributions, those dips in the market they they don't hurt you as bad because you don't need the money. If you're looking at your 401k and it's fifty thousand dollars today and it's forty thousand dollars tomorrow, that doesn't that doesn't make a big difference to you because you have your income coming in. Uh, those those those. That volatility actually works to your favor because you can make contributions when markets are down and when they rebounds, you, you do better. But as you get older and that money becomes more, you get closer to needing that money, those drops become so much more uh, important to, to, to stay away from because the worst thing that can happen is you actually need to take distributions when your accounts are down. So being prepared and having a strategy to get you out of the way, uh, it, it becomes so important as you, start, as you start to need that money. And having a portfolio that's actually built around your own risk tolerance and what you're willing to accept is it's imperative. It, it, can, it can make the difference between retiring comfortably and not being able to at all or having to go back to work. Yeah. And, and to your point, I mean, let's notice we, people like to say, well, as I get older, I should become more conservative. We would say you need to determine how aggressive or conservative you're willing to be regardless of age. Let's look at it like this. So suppose you had a million dollars, you could be 70, you could be 30. And let's suppose, uh, you know, you put that away, let's say in January of 2008, and you needed some income. And let's put the income level at 3%. 3% in a million is a whopping $30,000. We can all agree that's not a big drawdown on the account size of a million dollars. 30,000 from a million, not, no mucho, not much here, right? But then let's suppose the hurricanes show up as they did 2008 and, start, and ended around March 8th, March 9th, 2009. And now the hurricane has evaporated 57% of your net worth, that's $570,000 from a million, plus our $30,000 as our withdrawal for a total drawdown of $600,000 from that million dollar starting value. And now we're left with $400,000. And the best the industry typically will say to you is, dear investor, buy and hold no matter what. Just uh, sit and take it, hold and hope, and uh, you know, it stocks for the long term. What we would say is something very different than that. Again, irregardless of age, the question is what kind of loss can you accept? If it is the case, for example, that your total drawdown wasn't 60% in this case, let's say it was 20%, just to use a couple of arbitrary numbers. When we look at the math, 
Daniel, if the account's down 60%, and, and do this slowly and explain it, because, you know, as Americans, we, we're not as good as you are when it comes to math, and that's why you're our main math man here at Investor's Advantage. So when the account starts at a million and the drawdown after withdrawals and market loss is $600,000, we are left with $400,000. What kind of return is necessary to get that $400,000 back to even? It's uh, you actually, as a percentage, you need 150%. And the way the math works out is if you start, if you start with the if you start with a million and it drops to 400,000, you need to make back what you lost, which is 600,000. So your new starting book, your new starting point becomes that $400,000 mark. So you need to more than double your money. You need to make 600 on 400. That's 150% of what you currently have. So you need to make 600 on your 400. That's 150% return. And what do you think the odds are for that to happen? I mean, can you put any odds in that equation? No, I can't put any odds in that equation. But when we do look back at steep market losses, uh, it's is if you're not taking withdrawals, the odds of getting back to even are pretty are very good. If you're taking withdrawals and you see that kind of loss, especially if you're taking withdrawals early, then it becomes almost impossible to get back to even because you're working against yourself every year. You're taking money out on top of your loss. It gets compounded and then you have to make back the withdrawal plus your loss. And, you know, to really put it in perspective, let's suppose this was grandpa with a million dollars who retired in December 2007 and started the withdrawals January of 2008. Hey, look, I need $30,000. Now, let's understand with a traditional retirement account, as far as the IRS is concerned, they're making sure you understand there's something called required minimum distributions, RMDs. And what that means is what what the investment advisors and the accountants don't tell investors is every year, now it's at 72, but in 2008, it was 70. The IRS says you must start taking withdrawals and they set the formula. And guess what happens with that formula every year? It goes up every year for the rest of your life. So it might be three and a half percent at 70 or 72, for example, but then get north of your 90s and now the withdrawal can be 8, 9, 10, 11% that you must take out. So you can see if it is the case that that $1 million, the drawdown after the withdrawals and the market losses made $600,000 just evaporate. And then we have to increase the withdrawals from 400,000 the very next year. I mean, you used to be able to buy and hold. You used to be able to add to the account. If you're stopped working, this is your account value. You probably won't be adding to it and you're required to increase your withdrawals for the rest of your life. So now you can see this is, this is one heck of a Hail Mary pass that you're going to need uh, that I would not uh, give you good odds on at all to maybe, I mean, maybe ever see $400,000, particularly with withdrawals and increasing withdrawals from traditional retirement accounts to get that $400,000 back to a man. Is that, is that fair to say, Daniel? Yeah, that's, that's pretty fair to say. And you said something earlier that uh, everyone wants to, or people should get, the rule of thumb is people should get more conservative as they get older. And that that's for the most part, as far as a rule of thumb, it's true. But being conservative is a luxury. You have to do everything correctly so you can afford to be more conservative because you, you want that volatility to work for you when you're making contributions and, you, and, you're, and you're putting money away. And you should get more conservative 
if the math says you need to. But it's really, it's, it's a planning decision. And if you're not working with a financial planner that's making sure you're doing the things correctly, I don't know how you make that determination on whether you're on track and whether you can afford to be conservative. Because it's not, it's not exactly a hard um, question to answer, but most people don't have the tools to be able to answer it. And that's what's so important. It's about the tools. Because as a friend of mine told me back in March, John, I, I moved to most of my account to cash. I go, great. Now it's April. What have you done since? He said, well, I haven't done anything. I said, okay, so you get 50%. Every test I got 50% on, that was an F. So my point is you might get lucky and let's say get the account moved to cash in time. But now the question is, what are you going to do to redeploy uh, that cash? Do you have a, a formula? Uh, do you have a strategy? Or is it just what you think? We'd rather there be a strategy in place. And for example, we're, one of the things we've been talking about on this show is the, uh, what, how we like what we call the active um, management um, advantage, where instead of holding the shares, the shares are sold in a bad market. The money goes into a money market account, say it goes to cash. And so instead of having the portfolio retain 5% cash and 95% stocks or bonds or any combination thereof in 2008, Let's suppose the portfolio in January was at 5% cash, but by December was 60 to 70 to 100% cash. That might have produced the results where the loss was 20%, and now we need a gain of 25%. We will take those odds. That might happen. But when we need 150%, just to get back to even, as I say, I'm not sure even a Hail Mary pass will we'll pull that one off successfully. So we've got to uh, get for uh, to break. Daniel, and you have some instructions for us, please. You can always send us a message at contact at ybpoor.com. You can find us on Twitter at Money on Course, and you can find us on face, Facebook under Investors Advantage. We'll see you on the other side of the back, break. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Daniel Medina and John Grace here. So glad you could join us, taking time out of your day to kind of get a footing uh, take a you know read a, a ride on the reading railroad as opposed to holding on to the roller coaster as things are unfolding quite fast these days. So uh, we want to turn our attention to my book. And again, if you send us a message either now or later, however you might do that, in the event you'd like a copy of my book with your email address, we can send it to you via Amazon, and you'll be able to read it on on Kimball. And uh, it's also noteworthy that. Uh, Amazon has a free version of, of Kindle. So you can read it at your convenience. It is also available in paperback. So we want to talk about uh, making finance make sense. We're going to go through some of the chapters. And the first one we want to start with is, guess what? The first chapter, and I think it's appropriate as appropriate now as it was then, you can't read the economy by the headlines. And so let's, let's put it in perspective. Uh, you know, I love the, the quote that I have here from Yogi Berra. It's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> I think Yogi Berra knew what he was talking about. And then we can see that there was a press conference on March 3rd, 2009, where at the time, President Obama, who said, quote, what you're now seeing is profit and earning rations are starting to get to the point where buying stocks is a potentially good deal if you've got a long-term perspective on it. Now, the stock market hit its low point later that week on March 9th, 2009, and the S&P was at, I think it closed uh, at 676. So when we look at, Daniel, this is a question for you because you're better at math than most. Right now, the S&P is uh, 3296. Um, It was 2743 on March 8th, uh, but now we're at 3296. So what kind of gain is that? from 676 to uh, 3296 uh, pricing today? Gain of 386%. 386%. So, you know, this is part of what we're discussing, that when you get bad news, it's really hard to get back in the water or get back on the horse. And that's why we think it's so important to own the systems and the strategies that will do the work for you. Because as I say, if we don't get the buy or the sell correct, we have to get both correct to get 100%, to get an A. If we get either side of that equation wrong, we've got 50%, which of course would typically be an F. But 386% since March 9th or so of 2009, that's a, that's a remarkable run. Uh, now, 
what else can we say about this, Daniel? It's it becomes so important to look to 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 work with someone. Either you do this on your own, or you work with someone that that you trust that you believe has a better grasp of the market. A lot of times what people do or people say is just buy and hold and just hold and hope and just go with it. And that that would work great in all in all markets if you never need the money. And we've talked about this a few times, but it's 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 a really important point. So if you just held on through 2008, stayed invested through 2009, and then just held on, then you would have done great. And now you you might be getting to a point where you might need the money. And the question is, do you still hold on to that strategy? It can be very dangerous. It can be very volatile, but you have to pick a strategy that works for you and that you understand. And, and it's important to recognize, as we say, what kind of loss are you willing to accept before you put your money on red or black on any moving object, hoping that they're going to reach new highs. I mean, we've seen a lot of new money come in this year, as, uh, basically as of March 23rd, huge new accounts uh, where folks are taking money that maybe they aren't able to take to Vegas or to the horses. And they're gambling, really. They're putting in the stock market. And, and because of their timing, March 23rd, which so far has been the low for the year, I think we might retest that low, by the way. Uh, but they, they've only seen upside, these new investors. Now, it's interesting because, as we discussed last week, we can all see some uh, senior investors. I mean, these are folks uh, in the, the Tiger 21 Club. I mean, I just love that name. But apparently, to become a member of the, the organization, you have to have a net worth of over $100 million dollars. And the president of the organization was talking about some of the things he learned in talking to the members. And one of the things that he learned was that the exposure to traditional stocks and bonds was lower than expected, roughly 20, 25%. But he also noticed before year in 2019, a number, the average that uh, folks held in cash, I don't know where it began, but he said it was at an all time high before year in 19% cash. So here's what we're saying. A lot of new money has come into the account, smaller money as of uh, March 23rd to, to today. And, and a lot of the larger accounts, or at least some of them, have become more defensive. They missed all of this volatility or much of it for this year because they had increased their ratios of cash in their account. Now, here's one of the reasons they might want to do that. Uh, we, we know that cash is king, right? And we also know that on a per capita basis in Great Depression one more Americans became millionaires than any other time in history. So I suspect that there are some folks who aren't just holding on to equity, hoping that the values stay where they are comfortable. They've moved out of some of those positions, sold those positions, whether it's art or cars or houses or stocks, for example, moved to cash. Then they're looking for an opportunity to occur. And I'm convinced there will be a huge opportunity but it is cash that is king that allows you to place your bets when you're able to purchase with prices that might be 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 cents on the dollar. And, and, and by the way, let's just recognize that uh, GM, that's exactly where GM came from as part of the Great Depression. Remember that Buick and Oldsmobile, uh, Cadillac, these were all closely held companies. I mean, these were dads and grandfathers building maybe one to three cars a year. And some of these companies, these closely held companies, these are, you know, individually, family owned, uh, had some debt. So if you can't move a car and you have some debt, what do you do? 
you might take cash to move out of the equation. And that's where the basis, as far as I can determine, where GM was formulated. So they instantly had five different uh, options, you know, from Chevrolet to Cadillac, so that as your income grew, you could step up from a Chevy to a Buick, to a Pontiac, to an Oldsmobile, and ultimately to a Cadillac. But those were all companies that GM did not form. They were formed by individuals. And then things got tough. And those individuals had to sell uh, with fire sale prices. And the rest is history in terms of how GM just uh, owned the market in the world for, you know, what, I don't know, 30 years, probably at least 30 years worldwide. Now, they're not nearly as strong as they used to be. But notice the kind of trajectory they were on from buying those, those companies at a very, very low, low, and then changing the, the, the trajectory altogether. So what else here? Should we talk more about reading the economy by headlines or move on to another chapter? Well, let's, I, I just got one point to add about the headlines. It's, right. You have to be really, you have to be really careful when you're, when you're watching headlines because the, the headlines are produced by, by, by news, by, by media companies, by news companies. And you have to remember the goal of the media company is to get people to read or watch what they're, what they're producing. So they're going to, they're going to give you the headline that's most either most scary or most appealing, but it's going to be something that grabs your attention. That's not usually what's going on in the world. So you have to read, you have to read past the headline and really understand what's going on. It's a good point. I mean, I used to be a proofreader for the LA Times, loved every minute of it, by the way. And you know what? I was the victim, if you will, or my first experience with technology is that we, there were a bunch of guys, for the most part, and very few women, who would uh, come into the room and read all these articles and make sure that the words were spelled correctly and that they had the hyphens in the right place. Uh, for example, condominium was very important back then. We couldn't get that that hyphen in the wrong place otherwise. And, and then one guy, unfortunately, one of the guys I, I remember fondly, I don't know who he was mad at, but I'm not sure if it was intentional. There was an ad for one of the, uh, one of the big sellers of shutters. And of course, shutters is spelled with a U. Unfortunately, he spelled it on a full page ad with an I, and he quickly lost his job. So uh, what I'm trying to say is that if, if you've had any experience with the media, if it bleeds, it leads. And they're just responding to what we're responding to. So they're trying to touch the, your pulse in such a way where, yes, you, you, you want to read it. Unfortunately, most of us just get to the headline and don't get through the article or follow it long enough so that we can really see objectively not only what does this mean, but what does it mean to me and what can I do with this information? Great point, Jeff. Let's go on to the next article so we can get through this all. Okay. What do you want to tackle next? The next one on our list is Millennial Calamity Will Become America's Headline Ready for a Correction. Yeah, we've got, uh, you know, the baby boomers were notorious, really for accepting the mandate that you are going to go to school, you're going to finish, you're going to buy a house, you're going to have kids. Uh, that's what you're going to do. Those are the four things you're going to do. And so boomers, for the most part, just checked off the boxes. <laughs> you go to school, get married, buy a house, have kids. Now, the millennials, on the other hand, are looking at all of those as optional, 100% optional. None of them are required, <laughs> okay? 
So the, the boomers thought that, well, you know, to do well, you have to have a good job. And, you know, I'll, I like, like to live in a, in a nice neighborhood. I'm willing to drive an hour, an hour and a half every day to get from home to work so I can bring back the money to bring it, put it in the house and wash the car and mow the lawn and all those things that dads used to like, right, uh, doing around the house. But the, bo- the, uh, the, the children of the boomers were looking at dad like, you must be out of your mind. And now we notice they're not interested so much in buying a big house. Uh, they don't need the, uh, the huge rooms and the, the, the crown molding. They don't like the huge yards up until recently. They did pre- predominantly prefer the downtown areas where they could mix with their friends and hang out with their friends. Um, and now the suburbs suddenly look uh, kind of interesting. But uh, at the same time, if I'm not mistaken, 18 to uh, 29 year olds, a good number, it might be 50%, are now living at home. So uh, things have changed, and that's, that's part of what we have to do, is not just look to see where the ball was. I mean, what was it, Wayne Gretzky became famous in hockey for saying, I go to where the puck's going to be. We've got to keep our eye on what's moving and how are these trends changing. So cars, for example, maybe your mom drove a nice Ford Country Squire, but your wife wouldn't be caught dead in it, or you wouldn't be caught dead in it. And now we've gone from uh, minivans to everybody has a truck or an SUV. So we've got to keep our eye on the, the ball that is moving because things are, are changing all the times. And uh, the, uh, another thing to, to mention here is because of Boomer's desire for all this nice stuff, they, for, we were primarily inclined to try and make as much money as possible. Our, our children, they're just not that interested. Now, I'm not judging. I'm just saying, again, we have to observe who's doing what when and then put our money on the table when we're seeing a lot of people moving in that direction or, you know, going to uh, that involved in that activity. Uh, for example, you, you probably, well, we know, the, according to the Census Bureau, you consume the most potato chips in life at 14. And as a parent, you bought the most potato chips in life at roughly 41, 42 for your on average 14 year old. So the real point is sometimes we get lost in, oh, these are great chips. Well, when's the last time you had to eat potato chips every day? That was called middle school. (laughs) Now you're over it and here comes uh, the holidays and you might have one or two. But what I'm really saying is if we don't look to see who's involved in uh, behavior in a big way or, or in a way that is less than what it was, we miss the whole capability to see what's truly going on. So if we come up with a good potato chip, the first thing we really should look at is in the areas that we intend to serve, how many 14-year-olds are coming up in those areas? Let's look to see that pattern now, as opposed to saying, I've got the best potato chip the world has ever seen, and, uh, but I didn't check to see that the number of 14-year-olds have plateaued or in decline. Uh, and so we're, we're going to make bad decisions, at least not ones that were going to be the ones that we were you know, hoping to achieve great results. And, and this is noteworthy on this point. Uh, Daniel and I looked at uh, births, for example. That's a way to see how economies are going to do into the future because peak spending happens for most of us in our early to mid-40s, all right? to maybe the 50s when the kids are going to college and then it's really, you're, you're done. But when we look at births in America this year compared to last year, the last report I saw suggests that there will be fewer, uh, a fewer number of births to the tune of 300 to 500,000 
less birth this year thanks to this pandemic. So we also see that uh, condom sales are up. That's kind of interesting. But uh, the uh, number of people interested in having kids these days, that's quite down. And at least in the foreseeable future, I don't see that, that changing. What's more, and, and this is worth talking about because most people aren't paying attention to these details. When we look at the demographics of the world, what we see is uh, at this point, there are more people age uh, 65 and older than five and younger. That's unprecedented. So for us to say, well, we're just going to do what we did to the extent that we're now older and in many cases, much older. And let's recognize that we tend to check out in America uh, early to mid eighties, for example, uh, things are changing right before our very eyes. And as we say, this COVID uh, pandemic is uh, making things change in drastic proportions we haven't even begun to understand yet. And right now it looks like it, it certainly wants us. <laughs> it's coming for us from every angle and we've got to be more differential and let it pass. <laughs> no, you don't see me, I'm invisible. What else do you want to say about that, Daniel? Well, John, let's go to break and then let's finish this topic uh, when we come back. All right, sounds good. We'll be back on the other side. Please send us your questions and we'll send you my book. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. 
Welcome back, folks. John Grace here and Daniel Medina, who we'll be hearing from uh, in just a minute on the, his take on millennials as a millennial. But let me see if I can try to capsulize what we're talking about here. What we're saying to you is this, to get a real reading on what's going on in the economy, it, you can't just focus on sales because that's history. What we're suggesting, and by the way, we're one of the few advisors that pay for independent research, so that's where this comes from, Dent Research, where we have learned that a better way to kind of get a sense for where the economy is waxing and waning isn't looking at sales, isn't looking at prices, it's looking at age. So we talked about consuming the most potatoes of life in America around 14, and here's the primary driver in the U.S. of A., and that would be the baby boomers, 76 million people that literally came out of the woodwork from 1946 to 1964, and they're more like an egg through a python, whether it's Whammo or Mustangs or houses, they've had a huge, huge demand for all this stuff unlike anything we've ever seen. And by that, by the way, we have never seen 76 million people come into the equation anywhere except for these United States. And I suspect it's not gonna happen anywhere else. And in fact, it's not gonna happen here again. So what we wanna really focus on is what are these, there's so many of them, all right, 76 million. And as I say, looking at their buying patterns, we can see, for example, when it comes to housing, uh, the average uh, historically has been people buy their first house at 31, their biggest house at 41. And guess what? Census Bureau submits that typically Americans sell their houses at 78. Well, here come the boomers. And you may see that a number of boomers are going to look at your block. How many boomers are on your block? Four to five. That's pretty typical. So these people came into the equation. They're going to go out of the equation. All of us, like, thank you, are going to heaven. But we're going to see the, the, the demand for certain things certainly not be the same as it was because 24% of the population has taken maybe 20 years to go to heaven. But certainly it's, it's what happened then is not going to be replicated. So, Daniel, as a, as a millennial, tell us what, what you're seeing and, and, and how you see the, some of the differences between uh, the groups as far as our demographics are concerned, please. This is this is really a fascinating topic for me because we're I'm on certainly on the tail end of the millennial a millennial generation uh, at uh, 37 this year, and we work with a lot of baby boomers. So I'm watching what they're doing and what they've done with their with their life and their money and where they've where they've gone to work and how they've saved. And I'm trying to compare the differences between millennials because millennials is the next biggest group after the baby boomers. So to the extent that we're making comparisons, that's the group to compare baby boomers and millennials. And they're very different from a lot of different perspectives. Um, one of them is, is that John, that you've touched, you touched on his kids and me and my wife don't have kids and we kind of go back and forth, but it's very optional. We don't need to have kids and my, me, myself, I don't need to have kids. So if we do, it's going to be a choice. You have three dogs, right? We have three dogs, so <laughs> and those are those are my kids, and they're not, it's not quite the same. They don't drive your checkbook like actual kids do, because there's there's no daycare, there's no sports, there's no diapers, there's expense, but it's not quite the same. And a lot of my friends are in similar situations and don't have kids, and they may have dogs or they may have one kid, but that's it. So people aren't millennials aren't having kids like boomers used to three or four or even five kids that's that's just not not the same 
from a housing perspective, it's also it's also similar. John, you touched on this already, that they want to stay in the cities, and that's where a lot of young people want to live. If you're looking at residential areas, they're they're for the most part they're older and they're with families. Well, a lot of millennials aren't at that stage in their life. They wanna they want to live in an area where they can work, play, and eat, and that's the kind of facilities and apartment buildings and condo complexes that that we're seeing going up all over LA and in the San Fernando Valley and, and even out here in Santa Clarita where I am, those eat work play areas are becoming more popular. With the coronavirus, people are kind of moving away from that and that makes sense because it's more congested, but that's not necessarily gonna go away and people still wanna live there. So the, the demand for housing isn't quite the same, especially where prices are today, the demand for housing is different than it used to be. It becomes very optional. A lot of people, a lot of millennials want to buy a house, but they simply can't because the prices on housing is too expensive. Interest rate being so low helps that fact because it makes it more affordable, but now, now we're in a weird place because prices can't go up or interest rates can't, can't, go, can't go down. So now you have to keep everything where it is today to keep it going. And that's not, that's not really realistic. Interest rates at some point have to go up. And if prices go up with it, then that's going to become more affordable and create less demand. So it's a really, it's an interesting topic. It really is. And let's just look at what's been happening recently. I mean, how many particularly boomers had, could not live without Thermador, Wolf, Sub-Zero? You know, you have these great kitchens that nobody ever used because 50% of us, regardless of our income, we're eating out. And then the pandemic hit, and guess what? Everybody's hunkering down at home. Everybody's coming home. And now we're using those kitchens and filling those refrigerators and stockpiling on all the tissues we can possibly purchase, right? So as I say, it, it's important to, to look at the patterns that people are in and to look at what do you expect, but also be prepared for what you don't expect. One of my best lines is, Daniel and I could be jaywalking across the street going to lunch, but I would uh, submit to you that it's not the bus we see that can disrupt our day. It's typically the bus we didn't see, the bus we did not time, the bus we did not name. And if we're lucky after we get hit by that bus, we can peel ourselves up off of the pavement and get the license plate and maybe even take a picture of it, okay? But we're not prepared. And to that note, this comes from uh, a gentleman I've been following named Brian Sozi. Uh, and he used to be a, an analyst for Lehman Brothers, where, by the way, he says that he was pretty darn comfortable for about four years and he, and he loved his job. But if you recall, Lehman is history. And they, Lehman was around for a very, very long time. So now he's a, Brian Sozi is a, a he, he writes about the economy and writes about the stock market, for example. And I thought he nailed this in his title uh, in the street on September 11, 2008. Ready for a stock market correction? Probably not, is his direct quote. And he said, he went on to say, investors have learned squat 10 years after the Lehman bankruptcy. I think that's true. And frankly, I think that our industry, we love the industry, we work with people, you know, representing securities and insurance. But the message that we've delivered the securities industry, and I've only been doing this since 1979, has primarily been one message, buy and hold no matter what. And that's what we're really saying. Let's, let's, let's put a line in the sand between the, 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 the two sides where, yes, that works, and when it might not work or when you don't want to play that game, how might you limit the losses so that you don't need that Hail Mary pass to get back to even. So I think it's just as true today 
that uh, most of us have not looked to see how our accounts did, not month to month, for example, this year, or even by the quarter, that's deceiving. What we're gonna suggest you do is what we do, is help clients look at how did your account do from February 19th, which looks like that might've been the high. It looks like we got pretty close on September 2nd, but you know, look at the high and then look at the low as of uh, March 23rd. How did your account do? Because if it was off 30, 35%, as many accounts were relative to the market being off about those, the, that, that kind of, those kind of ratios, the question becomes, do you want to do it again? <laughs> again, regardless of age, do you want to do it again? I mean, what, what, what do we need, Daniel, if we get to a loss of, of 40%, for example, what's the gain we need to get back to that high water mark? Uh, if you're off 40, so uh, 100 goes to 60, you need 20, you need a uh, 30, you need 60% to get back to even. Yeah, I think it's 60, 66%. 66.6666. There you go. There you go. Okay. So, I mean, it, it, does that sound like fun to you? If that sounds like fun to you, go with God. Enjoy yourself. If that doesn't sound like fun to you, let's learn from the experience and look to see how for the same time period, whether it was first quarter 2009 fourth quarter 2018, the whole year from January through March 8th or so of 2009, back in, in that debacle, the financial crisis. Look at each of those to see if you're willing to see what your account did. And then the question becomes, do you want to do that again? Because probably when the same kind of activity happens in the overall market, your accounts may do something very similar to what they've done in the past. Or do you prefer to look to see, let's put together a parallel proposal for the same period of time to um, notice whether or not there might have been a way to, we call it, win by losing less. We find that uh, savvy investors, that's exactly what they're looking for. They, they don't like really losses of any kind, but they certainly want to limit those losses. Uh, and part of the reason is this thing called longevity. And, and by the way, this is, this is rather interesting from what we can see. We all like to believe that we're living longer. Uh, actually, the well-to-do are living longer. The poor are not. And because they're more poor than well-to-do, the poor are actually causing the uh, life expectancy to back up. It's, it's being reduced over the last couple of years. Uh, Japan's going further. The other industrialized countries are making um, gains in terms of longevity, we're actually backing up. And I, I would submit to you that the primary reasons is that the wealthy have uh, the resources, the money, and they have health insurance. The poor don't have either health insurance or any real money. So their experience of, of living is actually shortening up on us at this particular time. So again, these are some of the patterns that we have to, to recognize because uh, we're not all living longer. Uh, a good number of us are living shorter <laughs> and the well-to-do are living longer. But uh, as I say, let's look to see what's playing well during the time frame that we think it is reasonable and, and make sure that we can limit the losses but be agile as much as possible so that way we don't have to uh, have great regrets for the rest of our lives. All right, what else can we cover here, Daniel, before we wrap up? Well, we, the last thing, well, I think not the last thing on our list, but the one, one more thing I wanted to touch on, and you already talked about this was, but it was the 4% rule and the 4% rules is, is, I think it's become pretty popular and I believe it's misunderstood. So I wanted to touch on that just for a second. 
So the sure. way the the way the rule kind of works is you you anticipate taking out four percent of your money and you keep your money invested and then you can live on that for the rest of your life. Uh, but what I believe people misunder, misunderstand is four percent is based on an account value, not not a dollar value. So if you're hmm. if you have if you start with a million dollars, four percent would be forty thousand dollars. And the next year, let's say your account goes to one point one million. Now four percent is based on your one point one million. Now, if it goes down to 600,000 or 500,000 or some other lower number, you might have to take a decrease in income. That's prudent. That makes sense because you're trying to make this money last forever. So your income, like your account values, may have to fluctuate. And those are, that's the kind of thing that is hard for people to, to do on their own because they're thinking, I just need, need $40,000 a year. It doesn't matter what my account does. I'm just going to take 40000 out and hopefully it lasts forever. That's pretty risky in my opinion. And how do you reduce that risk? How can you build a portfolio? I mean, in many cases, you've got mutual funds where they may have an incidental yield of one to two, maybe two and a half percent. How do you put that foundation together so that folks can see that this 4% is something that actually might happen? So now we're getting into distribution strategies, which is something that's been neglected a lot in our industry because we're so focused on accumulation most of the time and and buying and, and making money. We don't talk about taking money out. So a distribution strategy from a simple standpoint is really you want to, what we tend to do is build a portfolio that produces uh, a higher yield than, than a growth component. So we're looking for positions that are, that are producing dividends or paying interest. That's going to give us something like two or three or 4% on an annual basis. That way our return is built up as income, not from growth. And that gives us a better chance of not running out of money and producing that income every year. So it sounds like the foundation is built on, let's say, dividend-paying stocks, where you can see a pattern of three, four, five percent, and that becomes your base, if you will. Uh, then the growth that might be, let's say, two or three percent. Now we've got a total return of six or seven, but instead of trying to get mostly the return in, from the growth and a minor part of that return from the yield, you're basing the uh, the, the foundation on a stronger uh, yield. Uh, so that we're not getting two, we might be getting four, and then it's 2% or 3% for the growth for the same 6 or 7% total return for the year. Is that right? You got it. It's a, it's a, <clears throat> a little bit of a reverse strategy than what people are used to, but it's a di distribution is different than accumulation. All right. Well, we'll leave it there for now, folks. Daniel Medina and John Grace will be delighted to be with you on the next Hump Day Wednesday. We'll be here from 12 to 1. And in the meantime, let me just suggest that we all keep up these good standards, right? The three W's, wash our hands, watch our distance, and uh, wear a mask, all right? So don't get on a cruise ship. Do those three things instead. And we'll be right back here with you uh, next Wednesday from 12 to 1 on Voice America. Bye-bye for now. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week.